Being a researcher is maybe a bit like being a musician. People are interested in the final output, the paper or the performance, but no one really wants to know about the countless hours of self-doubt, the bum notes and full starts. In short, all the moments where the assured professional doesn't really look all that professional at all. It's easy to forget that getting to the point of excelling is not about possessing a supernatural skill that elevates you above other mortals, but rather about the slow, steady accumulation of very human and fallible steps. And then, when you do get where you're going, to the end of a thesis, or a research paper, or a funded project, when people start looking up at you as an expert in some particular thing, it can be tempting to carry on playing the same basic theme over and over again, rather than plunge yourself into ignorance and uncertainty all over again. Our guest for this episode, Dr. Daniel Clark, is a lecturer in management and marketing in the business school here at the University of Dundee. But his career has involved him working on a lot of areas that you might not immediately associate with management and marketing. His work draws on themes of death and loss and involves methods such as autoethnography and research poetry. Among other things, we talked about the physicality of the writing process, the struggle to translate personal trauma into research, and taking the plunge into new things as a researcher. If you're a doctoral candidate battling with the process of write-up, an early career researcher wondering what your next steps might be, or a supervisor looking for insight into how to help a supervisee with the writing process, I think you'll find a lot to think about here. Hi Daniel, how are you doing? Great, great, thanks. Thanks a good bit yourself. Yeah, not so bad. Um, got the patter of rain on, on my um, skylight, which um, may come up in the recording, so I'm quite glad that I'm not going to be walking around today. Absolutely, it is lashing down here in Octorada as well. Um, but um, yeah, so great to have you on, um, and yeah, welcome to Discovering Research. Um, and so I think just to kind of kick off, um, as we kind of usually do, I'd just like to ask you, you know, just a bit about how you got into um, research, into the world of academia, um, your research degree. I mean, what was it that really brought you um, um, to that in the first place? Uh, I think for me, it, it sort of started um, during my master's. So I, I went to St Andrews 2003-2004 uh, with a master's in marketing. And um, the dean at the time, um, he was the chair of the British Academy of Management and the European Academy of Management. Um, and an email went round to all students um, asking for volunteers to be like um, sort of meet and greet and to, um, to help out at the conference. And um, so I volunteered. Um, and it was the first time I'd been to an academic conference, you know, you know, in my master's. So all this uh, content, all this reading I'd been doing, um, and some of the names, um, you know, I saw them in the program. And then as, as this payment for our time and sort of contribution to helping out, we could attend, I think it was the final day, or we could pick a day out of the three days. So I got to hear these academics speak, and I was like, I was just taken by this experience of um, 
being around um, so many interesting people, so many interesting subjects. And everything I was learning in the lecture room and in my reading has just come to life. And I was like, wow, if this is, um, you know, the world of ideas. And I wasn't, um, you know, come the end of my master's, I, I just had a, a more thirst, more hunger. Um, you know, the more I learned uh, through the master's, um, you know, the more I learned that there's a lot I don't know. And so, um, so the opportunity came up to do a PhD, and I jumped at it. I didn't realise you were at St Andrews. Was that um, would that have been the, the the gate building at that time? That kind of big circular building. Yeah, the gate. Well, no, um, the the building, uh, the uh, that's the gateway building, the round gate, building. As you yeah, that's, thing, what, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah so that 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 used to be. I think that was an exclusive. Um, of a luxury uh, sort of golf club that never quite got off the ground and the university bought it. Um, but before that, it was the Centre for Business Studies. Um, yeah, it was like the CBE. And it was the, um, it then became the, um, I think it was Media. So it was that little house on North Street. Uh, there was just two courses. It was International Business and marketing um so so yeah i went it was the first um uh, yeah, it was the first time I'd, I'd never been to st andrews i just i just saw the ad um in a magazine uh, like prospectus i think it was so um i saw an advertisement of this new masters and i was i was doing my undergraduate at the time and i was interested in marketing i wanted to get into marketing um because my undergraduate i was in um I say business management and I focused on marketing I wanted to get into marketing but I didn't have an awful lot of experience and a lot of the opportunities you know a lot of employers either want experience or a master's say like a qualification thing and I saw this ad for uh, a new master's you can apply for a scholarship at St Andrews and at the time I'd never been to St Andrews Hardly knew where it was. News in Scotland, and um, I thought, you know, well, you know, the future king is there. I wonder if they accept scousers. So uh, I sent in an application. I sent in um, an essay. I just got the best mark I ever had. I think it was ninety-two percent or something. But anyway, I got the full scholarship um, to um, to come and do the masters, and uh, the rest is history, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic because you studied there as well, didn't you? Oh, I did, yeah, I did my PhD there, um, and and then worked there for for a number of years. But it's yeah, definitely got a certain sort of reputation, hasn't it, as a place? But turning back to um, the the PhD, so you'd got this kind of taste for um, the world of research uh, at yeah. this conference, and so you then decided that a PhD was the thing to do. Um, so tell me a bit about that. What was your what was your subject, and how did you find the process of of completing the doctorate? Um, so my research um, started off um, in the area of strategy. I was interested in how how do managers make decisions. So started off looking at strategy, looking at then focusing on decision, um, so sort of decision making theory, and then um, and then I got interested in intuition, the role of of you know how how does intuition work in in managerial decision making. 
Um, so uh, the time come to to roll my sleeves up and to um, you know to go out into the field and to collect some data and to, to start a pilot study. Um, so I went into a small company that was a spin out from the University of St Andrews, a small new business venture, and um, and I, I couldn't see any decisions um, because of course they you know they happen you know when you're not there they happen in your sleep you know they happen in the car on the way to the office and and look back and okay what was I actually involved in I I helped them relocate as <laughs> an extra pair of hands so uh, so the so the kinds of decisions I was involved in as as an ethnographer, as a, as a as a participant, um, you know, they used me as a, as a handyman, as as a removal. So I, I got interested in space and place. So so my research, um, um, you know, to this day, and as I've continued and sort of um, like developed an interest since then in um, how people make sense of, how people use, how people understand um, space and place. It's really interesting that. Yeah, you see, so you're coming in, studying, yeah, something that sounds quite abstract in the process of decision making, and you're doing the research, and this really does sound like, you know, participant observation in every sense of the word, you know, mm-hmm. by kind of hauling furniture around and doing all kinds of things. And I suppose, as you yeah. say, that's actually, you know, these things are embodied, you know, decisions don't happen in, in sort of yeah. some kind Absolutely. of tenth dimension, that they happen in the here and now. You just reminded me. In, in my PhD, I've got I've got a section in the findings on um, a wall, um, chairs, and the worktop. So there's these three conversations I focus on because we were, you know, moving things around. It was like um, like TV program, um, like home makeover, like 60 minute sort of makeover. Um, you know, we're moving things around as you said. We, oh, does this look better? Does that look better? So we're making decisions as we go, you know, um, and asking, oh, you know, what did he what about your clients what will they think what about you know your collaborators your stakeholders and what about you know people who come to the business and, and you know people who come in so we got into all kinds of interesting conversations um so, so in hindsight that sounds like you know a pretty successful piece of research it sounds you know like that you know obviously it went quite well but as you said kind of coming into it you know you you're looking for decisions and you're initially not finding them was that quite an alarming moment? Was there a point where it felt like in the research just wasn't happening, where you weren't quite sure what the way forward was? I guess it wasn't. It wasn't because I just, I guess I was learning then to sort of have trust in the process, just go along with it. I mean, I spent um, about nine months, I think it was, if I remember correctly. I spent about nine months, a few days a week, a few mornings a week. Some 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 days I'd be in there from nine till five, some days of being there and uh, like just the afternoon um so i i knew that with all my note taking uh with taking photographs with um just like just um you know just turning the recorder on uh, like the voice recorder and just letting it play um i knew at the end of the process that something would emerge you know as, as is often the case in in uh, you know qualitative research so i just kind of went with it it was only looking back that I realised, oh, well, what decisions have I actually been involved in? Well, it's been maybe the sh- I shifted the focus to space and place because that's what I was involved with and they were involved with. Um, was um, they were obsessed with this new building, this 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 new work environment, this the new opportunities it would 
propel them forward into the next phase of the business. And, um, yeah. And of course, that's the crux of qualitative research, isn't it? You know, and anything inductive, this this faith you have to have in in emergence, and you know, the the idea that's, that the the fundamental kind of master theme is going to present itself. Yeah. We've talked a bit about writing, um, and I know that's something you're very interested in. Um, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that a bit more in in, in kind of um, as we get on to kind of what you're doing now and what you've been doing in more recent years. Um, but at the time when you were doing the PhD, how did how did you find that? How was the process of turning this mass of, of, of kind of thick, deep, rich observations into something that was actually going to kind of pass muster in front of a, an examining panel? Mm-hmm. Um, practically and sort of physically speaking, we were in the um, so the PhD students had the this big open plan top floor of the gateway building um, and so they just moved into the building itself it was it wasn't um, you know it was you know the school of uh, school of management was um, the new occupiers and it was only three and it was about a handful of us at the time I think it was five five PhD students I mean it was obviously a lot more but five of us sort of using the office space every day um, and there was one big long wall uh, with loads of desks. Um, and so I would take the transcripts um, and I, 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 I used the kitchen tabletop method, uh, except I wasn't in the kitchen, I was in the gateway building and, and, and I, would, I would physically cut up, um, you know, the transcripts, the, you know, the excerpts and, and, and group and sort of, you know, um, 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 thematize and, and, and um, um, try and make sense of, of these stories I was collecting. Um, and as I say, um, you know, that's how I guess I ended up with stories about a wall, you know, wanting to knock a wall down to make an open plan office, uh, you know, the importance of a chair, you know, what does a chair say? Um, but in academia, chair says a hell of a lot, you know, you know professorship. And, um, but, you know, a chair, the type of chair you, you sit on um, can, be, can be important, you know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, so so that was sort of the physical process. Um, it was, you know, very enjoyable, and it was it was good that I had this space to to allow the ideas to percolate, to to sit, rest, to, um, and I like that tangibility of seeing the words, um, you know, living the words as you hear back through the tran- through the video, you know, um, sorry, through the audio recording, living with the words, being with them trying to understand them and then typing them out through the, you know, as you, as you, as you transcribe them and then, and then printing them out. Um, you know, so doing the labels was a physical thing with, you know, coloured pens and, um, you know, the sticky notes, the post-it notes and all that. Um, so, yeah, it's a real sort of tangible process for me. I, I, um, I like paper. I'm not one of, you know, some people like to have, you know, uh, like a paperless office and some people like to work on a computer screen and it's all crisp and clean. I I, I um, find it hard to work that way. I like the messiness of it all and, and trying to get into it. You know? Yeah. And once again, I mean, the theme of space and place. And so in your, you're studying decisions by moving furniture around, you're writing, but when you talk about 
the writing process it's really embodied isn't it you're talking about the physical environment you're doing it in and the kind of physical tools that you're using um and there's something i think something really really interesting there um potentially for other people that are kind of maybe starting out in research you know thinking about you know, what it means to think about writing and i know that that's something that you do a lot of work with but just in terms of continuing i suppose the sort of biographical element of this so after you'd finished up and you've then got you know, your, you, you, you've got to the end of the, the dissertation process, you've got your PhD, and you're then entering into an academic career with this expectation of doing more writing, doing mm -hmm. more publishing, finding kind of your kind of early career research area. Can you talk maybe a little bit about that and how that was for you? Yeah. Um, so I finished the PhD. Uh, 2008, 2009, and I went straight into a lectureship. Um, which I applied all, you know, I applied all over the world. I, I, I wanted to go and work with um, Anne Huff in Canada, um, but it was it was only a six month sort of um, sort of postdoc thing, and uh, you know, it didn't pay very well. I'd applied to. Otago, New Zealand, I applied uh, Hong Kong, I applied all over the place, Hong Kong, I, um, I think I sent a few applications to France because you know that's where I did my undergraduate and all over the place and I applied to Liverpool Hope University, I didn't even, you know, I'm from Liverpool, I didn't, I've heard of Liverpool John Moores and of course I heard of Liverpool, you know, I didn't know Liverpool Hope, I had a little look online and it it, it, it kind of reminded me of, you know, St. Andrews is a nice old part of the campus and small, intimate, like 7,000 students. So I applied there and I got the job. I was, you know, to my um, um, immense pleasure. And and, um, and so I moved back home. Um, you know, my mum thought I was moving back, you know, to be with her godlover. Um, and she was chuffed. She thought, you know, coming home to take care of her. But um, it was the only place that would give me a job. <laughs> um so it was the only place I, I, I had an interview um, for. And, and, and so I found myself straight out of the PhD. Um, and then that that Christmas, um, rather unfortunately, and you know, rather sadly, my my mum went into hospital for a routine um, uh, checkup and she was coming out and um, the front wheel of the wheelchair went down a grid and she fell out and... Um, she banged her head or something and went back into hospital and then and then she got a bladder infection and then she died. Um so so I was writing a conference paper at this time. And I remember I I, I had the deadline, but I was grieving. And I was trying to write a paper from the PhD on relocation, because I was all about relocation management. I've got to convert. I, you know, I write, therefore I am. I'm an academic now. Um, I've, I've, I'm on a three-year probation. I have to publish. Oh, uh, but wait there, my mum's just died. My, my dad needs me. Um, oh, wait there, my girlfriend up in Scotland. Um, I really want to see her. Um, wait there, um, my grandma. You know, she needs me right now because she's just lost her daughter, my mum. And I didn't know what to. So I, I was trying to write this conference paper. And I just started writing about grief and loss. And, and so the paper started off about relocation management. Um, so I submitted it to Yoram, I can't remember where it went, I think it was Estonia, I think. 
I can't remember where the conference was, but I presented this paper that started off as relocation management and it turned in to a paper about trying to write a paper whilst experiencing grief and loss. And I presented it and it was well received. Um, um, and um, it was difficult, it was it was traumatic and, and is this research, should I be writing about this? You know, I was trying to show the difficulties about what goes on in the background. Um, and at the time, the, the, the dean at Liverpool Hope University, Professor David Weir, who's since become a, a dear friend of mine and a, um, and a co-author, um, I remember going to him and speaking with him in, in his office, him telling me that when he was at, in his first year in Oxford studying PPE, uh, what's that, philosophy, politics and economics at, at Oxford, his, his father died in his first year. So we really bonded and connected over this experience of loss, me in my first year as an academic. So although I'd lost my mom, he'd lost his dad, we could sort of connect on that level. And he spoke to me about, um, he said, this paper, Daniel, is about managing multiple transitions. You're managing transitions here. You're, you're the transition from PhD into academic life, into probation, into, um, 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 you know, academic selfhood, academic. Uh, so uh, it, it became an identity study. It become it be, that. And back then, where was that? Two thousand and nine, ten. Um, there wasn't much writing in um, the field of organisation um, studies, business management, education, you know, management learning. There wasn't much writing about um, death and loss and grief. Um, or even much writing about writing. Um, so back, I sort of put that on hold for a few years and thought I need to get back to writing about, you know, marketing and management because that's what I'm teaching. I'm in a, I'm in a school of business. I, you know, I write about, you know, management and marketing. So I kind of left loss and grief for a few years and and then and then I eventually went back to it, you know. So that that's, that's a bit of a, a sketch of what it was like trying to... Um, you know, you think it will be all plain sailing. You get, you get your PhD. You know, you get your job, um, and then wow, something hits you. Um, fast forward a few years, and and, um, and then your dad dies as well. You know, <laughs> so 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 you know, we've all experienced. We all we're all kind of rucksack. We're all we're all carrying. Um, loss and grief from 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 whatever it may be you know um so i've yeah i've started to write about that really um of late there is i mean i, I still think and obviously autoethnography you know is established as a method but there is i think it's fair to say still quite a powerful bias against you know maybe kind of um maybe that's the wrong word but there, you know there, there, there's there is this sense that academia should be impersonal and that mm -hmm. you should kind of really be putting yourself into it. Did you, obviously, you know, you've gone through a really difficult time with, with you know, your kind of the passing away of your mother and, and, and subsequently your father. And obviously you found a way of actually really flourishing as a researcher, kind of embracing that and, you know, you know kind of making a feature, so to speak, of, of the personal. But that can't have been easy. There must have been a moment where you were sort of, I assume, kind of tearing your hair out, trying to write a conventional, dispassionate 
Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, it wasn't a moment, Gilbert. It was wasn't a moment. It was, I think, in my CV, there's a three-year hiatus. There's like a three-year gap where I tried to write for a four-star journal. You know, the idealized four-star academic. You know, and mentors and senior academics. You know, don't waste, don't waste a publication. Don't, you know, don't send it to a a non-ranked journal, you know, don't don't send it to a one star or a two star. You know, research excellence. It's gonna be a four star. And then if they don't accept it, then you advisory submits another four star. And then if they don't accept, then send it to a three star. And and for yeah, for those three or four years, I was trying to get into these top tier journals, writing about management um in a somewhat detached um manner you know trying to develop this voice that i obviously had difficulty um doing because i didn't get those publications um but then um, with the confidence and the encouragement and support that as i say uh, you know david uh, my pal uh, um you know then uh, um, you know, my line manager since become a, a pal, you know, he sort of encouraged me and just said, you got to write it, you know, just, just get it down. Um, so yet it was only years later that um, I, I decided to write about my father and submitted it to a journal and it was accepted as it was. Like, oh my heck, what? <laughs> How did that happen? You know, the first, the first off the bat, I just, I mean, it took a lot of drafts, a lot of writing. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I had a lot of support with that, a lot of help as well. Um, but um, I was like, whoa, the first time I, I, I wrote about something from the heart, um, I found the right place, I found the right journal, found the right audio, the right community. Um, and then I thought, well, I'll do it again. So I wrote another piece, went back to the same conference and I've done it again. And, and now fast forward um, five years or so, and I've, I've um, been writing about grief, loss, bereavement, death ever since, you know. Once again, it feels like we're talking a bit about writing process. And I think that's also interesting that, again, I mean, I suppose similarly to the, the idea that you shouldn't be putting yourself into the research, I'm not sure that academics always feel comfortable talking about writing process. We, we're talking about writing processes may be fine for you know for PhDs, but there's almost a notion that you do the research and then the write-up just kind of happens. And clearly, certainly for the kind of research that you're producing, the kind of work that you're producing, that's not the case. You know, to get the the publication that gets into the journal without any any corrections. As you said, there is a process behind that. And based on what you've been saying up to this point, I imagine it's quite a physical process. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there is that sort of physical, um, the, 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 the effort, you know, the, the sitting down at, a, at this chair in the front room in the study. And, and, um, and like Carolyn Ellis, you know, she, she, she's a, a much, much celebrated, much, um, much, um, cited um autoethnographer and, and uh in response to the question you know well how do you write she says bum on seat that's how i write you know and and it's just 
sitting down, getting it done and and facing the blank page and just saying, right, what, what is it I want to say? So there is that physical element to it. <clears throat> you know, the materiality, you know, what is it you're writing with? Um, are you writing by hand? Are you writing on a typewriter? Are you writing on a computer? But um, talking is also writing, you know? Talking is an integral part of, like, you know, um, 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 so is drawing. Um, what, what do we do as academics? We, 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 we talk, um, uh, we, uh, you know, we think, thinking, writing, um, drawing, and talking. These are all integral parts of, um, of writing. Um, so it was in that, it was in that period where I was like, why can't I just do this? Nike, just do it, you know? <laughs> why can't I get this three or four star paper in, into a management journal? I started reading about writing. That's where I guess the interest came from. Um, so I was reading about, I started reading about how other academics, how they write their autobiographical accounts of, of their writing career, their, themselves as writers. And then, um, yeah, I remember the academic skills um, crew, you know, the, the fantastic team at, at our university, um, you know, them coming into our first year classes, given session, you know, sessions on essay writing and things like that. And, and I was asked to attend and to just give a lecturer's sort of standpoint to kind of do a tag team at the front of the lecture theatre to reinforce, to support, to offer alternative views on what they were saying as academic skills tutors. Um, and and I was just getting involved with them and having discussion and and, um, and then they they must have liked what I was saying because then they asked me to go and speak to the PhD students at the at the thesis boot camp. To, to then go in, um, so you know, I did a session on essay writing and the importance of um, of writing drafts, um, and and so found an audience there. Um, and then with the prof docs, um, I was I was invited to um, give a session on creative writing. I mean, I'm not I'm not a creative writer. I mean, you know, in the University of Dundee, we have have lecturers and you know departments with people who who are you know creative writers um so it was a real sort of uh, you know privilege and, and it, was, it was a great opportunity for me to to share some of the learnings i've um uh, had um on on the use of um poetry uh, you know research poetry you know i'm not a poet but but i write a poem ish um um uh, prose and um and i've put that into into my articles and you know i teach research methods as well at the uh at the school of business and in in my classes you know i've i've, I've introduced i was saying before in the phd i you know took photographs and i asked the research participants to to draw um, so so i introduce um drawing and photography into research methods teaching uh, and of course I do that and then some of the innovations now and some of the things you see in management research you see um, you, know, not, you know for many years um, there's been 
more creative methods. And I've taken it upon my, it's been, I've found that, um, you know, I've, I've decided to challenge myself. Well, if I'm, you know, I'm teaching this stuff, you know, I should be able to do it. I should, I should give it a go. <laughs> so that's, that's how I've, how, how I've got into the likes of, you know, research um, and research poetry. Um, presented a paper a couple of years back that involved um, that, that it was based on a video. So I had small video um, sort of excerpts in the paper presentation, you know, I was speaking whilst the video that I'd created um, was on in the background. And it was, um, it was Ed Wood from, um, from the library, you know, who works in the library, um, who's uh, involved with technology and, uh, you know, digital resources. And um, he helped me put together this video. It was brilliant. Um, so, you know, there's, what's it? Those who can do and those who can't teach. And, you know, if, if I'm standing up at the front of the, you know, if I'm standing up at the classroom um, encouraging students to use these creative methods, I think it helps to be able to speak um, from first-hand experience, you know. Kind of pushing yourself kind of yet again, I, I guess, out, out of your comfort zone. And, I mean, this really gets into some of this, um, you know, talking about teaching writing, talking about coaching writing, um, gets into another area that I know you're also interested in, which you talked about a bit previously, and that's the, the pedagogy of, of doctoral um, um, scholarship. And I'm, I mean, it's definitely something I think is often the case that supervisors um, aren't necessarily comfortable with supporting writing. Um, you know, the, you might know how to, um, you might know how to um, guide a, a supervisee in, you know, whether they're researching on the right lines, whether they're gathering the right kind of data, whether they're analysing the right kind of way. Again, getting back to the kind of the opacity often of that writing process. What would your, given the amount of work that you've been doing in this area, what would your advice be? What are the kind of, what, what are the, what are the, what are the most immediately useful tools and sort of the toolkit in terms of supporting the writing of a, of a, of a postgraduate researcher? Um, I think you hit the nail on the head that it's something we all do, and it's just taken for granted. It's just an assumption, you know. You you've got to undergraduate, you've maybe done a dissertation, you know, maybe you haven't. You've got a master's, um, you've written a proposal to get onto the PhD, so you can write, you know, as a as a bit of a perfectionist. And I I, I know that feeling that you know through the supervisory process, undergraduate, masters, PhD, myself, you don't want to show something that's half-baked I mean it's showing somebody you're writing is like you're exposing yourself you're open to critique you're, you're, you're once you make something public you know you put something out there um there's a sense of vulnerability maybe not wanting I think it's human nature isn't it you know we don't we sometimes find it difficult to look at ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves some serious questions you know, what am I trying to say here? What am I trying to do? Yeah. And writing is often seen as a solitary activity, like you know, it's kind of um, you know monastic. Nor my supervisor, you know, this this is this is a monastic pursuit. It is it is an individual endurance sport, you know. Um, yeah. But before I was talking about writing as as involved in talking and writing is 
an extremely social activity, isn't it? Um, so I, my, my main encouragement or piece of advice, and, and I try to remind myself this, is to share it with people, talk about it. Um, and, and if you're writing about something that you're really passionate about, something that is right at the heart of whatever it is you're living, whatever you're seeing around you uh, in the world around you, um, if it's part of your being, then, then, then I think that is a great help. And, and showing it with, you know, critical friends, sharing it with, with people and, and, and those close to you, um, not giving it to people who you think who are going to just say, oh, that's great. But um, having real uh, sort of mentors and, and, and friends and colleagues and people you trust to to share it with, you know. Um, and it was through reading, um, you know, I mentioned before about the, you know, what, what right That's um, uh, from, from Charlotte Cloutier, you know, an article that she, she asked a lot of academics how they write and then sort of summarised it. Um, I think it was in that paper I learned that um, you know, the earliest journals were actually letters. One of the earliest you know, journals was, um, I think she cited an economics journal, and it, they, they, it was academics writing to academics, so it was letter writing. And they put them all together, this correspondence, into, into a booklet, into, into an issue. And um, I made that available to other scholars so they could read it. Um, so writing letters, you know, writing emails, trying to distill what it is I'm trying to write about, and sending <clears> it to pals and saying, well, what do you make of this? Talk about critical friends, talk about networks of, of support. There's a real asymmetry, isn't there, with as if, if you're a postgraduate researcher, you're showing all of your half-baked, you know, unfinished work in progress to your supervisor. But you're not seeing anything like that from your supervisor. All you've probably ever read that your supervisor's written is finished, reviewed, polished, finished, yeah, perfect piece. Yeah, and as you know, as you said, there's a lot of there's a lot of support out there now for um, for early career academics, for um, for you know, for you know, academic writing, for PhD, you know, getting through the masters, writing a dissertation. There's a lot of guidebooks and, and you know, writing groups, and and yeah, um, as you say. Some people I think are born great and, and they, you know, you know, it appears that way. Like they, 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 uh, four star um, articles just drip off their fingertips, you know, they, they, they sit down, they write. And, and yeah, so that process is, um, is very much hidden. And I think there's uh, a focus, perhaps rightly so, and, you know, an obsession on content, teaching the content, you know, sort of, you know, delivery. Um, one of my first sessions when, when in, of the academic year, um, in one module I have, I, I give students a paper and, and I ask them to do a summary of it, to write a 500 word summary and then to read it out in, in the seminar. Um, and and uh, we don't really interrogate in the first session, like, you know, what's the argument? What's, what's the author doing here? We just spend that the bulk of that first seminar talking about what was it like reading it? How did you feel when you were asked to read this 40 page article? How did you approach it? Did you read it in one go? Did you 
do it in small chunks? Did you sit with a dictionary? Where did you read it? And just try to hear those stories and hear the diversity in the room of how people approach reading, you know? Um, so it all feeds back into the writing um, because that's what we do. It's what students have to do at the end of the semester. They, they have to write something, yeah? And again, getting back to, yeah, process, materiality, sort of making the implicit explicit. So one of the things I always like to do at the end of um, these episodes is ask for a kind of uh, a nice sort of canned advice. And I've already done that. To, right. so this is a bit unfair, but we've talked about writing and, you know, like maybe supporting supervisors and supporting PGRs in that writing process. But the other big theme, I think, of this conversation has been about, yeah, as you say, you know, kind of taking things that, you know, often people make look easy because we don't see all the difficulty that's gone into them being, you know, being open about, you know, the real physical kind of spatial work that goes on. Um, and the diversity of process. And I mean, you've talked a lot about really just pushing yourself difficult moments, moving beyond your comfort zone, putting doing research that was personal at a time that you really thought you were expected to do research that was impersonal, and then doing this research poetry, producing research in different forms, introducing new um, new methods and new processes into methods. And I think there might be people out there, I'd like to imagine there might be people out there who will listen to this and they'll sort of think, well, actually, I'd like to do something different. Give it a go. Yeah. So this is probably the kind of advice that's difficult to put into words. But what would your advice be to somebody that's maybe thinking of taking the plunge and doing something a little bit off the beaten track as 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 a researcher, as an academic? How do you overcome that that difficulty? I think you've just got to give it a go. Um, there's a lot of things. I remember one of the PhD students, or my, my supervisor keeps on telling me to, my language is too flowery, you know? And I'm like, add more flowers. <laughs> Not to work your supervisor to, you know. Um, um, yeah, if there's, I mean, I, I had a lot of imposter syndrome and, and anxiety about trying to write poetry um i found i just had so much going on i couldn't distill everything i wanted to to, to say into um I, I couldn't i couldn't condense it all um uh, what's it uh, like data reduction you know you know how, how do you reduce you know your data to and, and i found that um one of the conferences, I, I went, you know, to a poetry workshop, and I, I did the first time this this one class, this one um, a, a sort of workshop, um, and I just give it a go, and you know, sometimes uh, accepting that good enough is 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 you know good enough. It's it's a starting point, um, and yeah. So, so I guess that's if I could put in a in a nutshell, just give it a go. And your supervisor may not like it; it may not be of interest; it may not there may not be much support. Um, if you really want it, you'll you'll find a justification, you'll find a way. 
to to weave it in to get it in you'll find the the right references you'll find the support you'll find the community where it's normal to do this i mean i remember in the open plan in st andrews on the top floor there in the gateway <clears throat> i remember sitting there with my manuscripts with the you know the transcripts from the interviews and these drawings and a professor walking past and are you doing your coloring in again daniel and i was i was like i just felt the hurt like well this isn't coloring in this is serious stuff i'm doing here this is this is research this is this is proper stuff you know, look there's a whole community of researchers out there who use drawing they insert drawing and photography and creative visual methods into the interview to bring it alive, to, to make it real. And that made me work harder to, to that little sort of worm, that little voice in my head. Are you colouring in again, Daniel? You know, the sort of infantilizing um, sort of looking down the nose, um, sort of uh, um, to comments. We all get them. Everybody gets these comments, don't they? Whatever methodology, whatever method, whatever school of thought you're coming from. Um, so I think, as my pal, you know, um, Jonathan Wyatt, uh, he said, you just got to own it. Own that. Well, yeah, I am calling in and I'm, I'm bloody enjoying it. <laughs> to think of another person that, that did a lot of colouring in and, and I think enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I'm sure this is, I'm going to get the quote wrong, but you know, William Blake said, didn't he, the fool, if you were to persist in his folly, would become wise. Right. And, and I think there's definitely that, you know, like, um, you know, yeah, stick, you know, stick at it, as you say, give it a go, you know. And um, um, and I hope that, you know, I hope that some people will, will take encouragement from this. Um, but yeah, it's been... Um, it's been really great talking to you and well, thanks, um, thanks for I look forward to sort of seeing where, you know, kind of where this all goes in the future, because obviously you, you know, seem to be going in all kinds of exciting directions at the moment. But thank you very much for, for making Brilliant. the time. Thanks for inviting us. It's been great speaking with you. Thanks. Colin.